0: I'm Natalia Lobach, and this is Change Course Leading and Lagging. This episode this week is actually based around a question that I got from one of the listeners. So, thank you to everyone who is listening, and thank you for this question. I'm not going to make a habit of calling out the names of people who ask the questions, but I will highlight and paraphrase what they asked me and then try to answer them. So you know who you are. Thank you for this question. And for those of you who want to send a question in for a future episode, uh, you can leave me a voice message on Anchor or you can find me, follow me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest place to find me and send me a message there. I'd love to hear from you. So this question um, was around some of the first few episodes that I did on the podcast around the innovation and adoption curve. So the question was around why do the laggards have such a negative effect on your innovators and early adopters and what can we do about it? So I'm paraphrasing a little bit and I hope that... uh, gets to the spirit of the question that was asked. So as a reminder, uh, we're talking about the innovation and adoption curve from Rogers. So to remember who these folks are, your innovators are the first 2.5% of the people who adopt your intervention. Early adopters are the next 13.5%. So remember that your innovators and your early adopters are usually the folks who are the closest to the change. They're the ones who have the most to gain. They're also, as we've talked about with some of the ideas from Gladwell's The Tipping Point, your early adopters are change drivers. So they're the salespeople, the mavens, the connectors, the folks who share the vision of those innovators and they see the future and so they're moving towards change because they desire it. It is a positive association. They want to make things better and they believe in the change vision. So your leaders on the leading edge are the ones who are drawing forward the rest of your organization through incredibly positive messaging and positive means. Not to say that things don't get difficult and there is difficulty. There always is. But the attitude and the mindset towards that. And and I talked a little bit about mindset in the previous episode. The mindset towards the change is more of a this can be figured out. This is something that can be solved. The problems that we may encounter are surmountable. Your early majority and late majority, so 34% and 34% respectively, so making up 68% of your adoption, your intervention adoption. Those folks are. The you know, they're they may be less impacted. Um, You know, they don't have as strong an affiliation with the vision and they can be convinced to join, but it does take quite a lot of energy and attention because we've talked about that crossing the chasm. It actually takes a huge amount of energy and focused attention and encouragement of your innovators and your early adopters to get that early and late majority to grab on and to get that change to really start to gain momentum and, uh, and move through Uh, that early and late majority and really get to the majority of your adoption right at the outset. Your laggards are the 16% at the end. Laggards typically don't want to change and um, they are holding back. So this is where you're seeing some of the resistance take shape and uh, it could be fairly homogenous in terms of the reasons why, but it can also be quite diverse. The issue is that it's only 16% of your whole population. So if you can get like, you know, how far are you going to get when you've got your innovators, your early adopters, early maturity, late maturity? I mean, you are looking at, um, you know, 84% of your population. That's a huge, huge number. And in fact, 84%, once you have 84%, it's sustainable. You don't need the last 16%. The problem is that if we spend a lot of time engaging the 16% and trying to get them to adopt, it requires an intense and insane amount of energy. The, you know, the challenge is, is, that that typically comes at the end and your innovators and your early adopters, they're like done, they're ready to celebrate. They've been working on this for a really long time and having to spend that time focused on your laggards. So there may be some opportunity to do some um, you know, targeted interventions in that group. But for the most part, part if you're engaging one-on-one with resistance, it becomes very difficult and exhausting. So I'll talk a little bit about the three things that I've seen that cause the change to fail at this point. So the first one is leadership. The second one is that the laggards just don't want to change. And I'll get into a funny story there. And then the third one is that the laggards can be quite toxic if we give them a platform. So first, the leadership. So the innovators and in your early adopters are peers in the organization. And of course, your change leader or you know maybe you have a guiding coalition. You've got a group of people who are really driving this forward. Typically, your leader or your sponsor has a lot of Um, referential or or authoritative power in the organization. And your leader in the change is the one who's driving that energy with your innovators and early adopters. So let's think about the kind of things that leaders are saying to the innovators and early adopters. They're saying things like, we need you. This is really important. Um, You know, there will be rewards you know, I'm supporting you. This is amazing. I really need your help. Um, You know, and they're really boosting up and asking for a lot of investment from the innovators and early adopters in order to help them pull the rest of the organization through. What happens at the end is if you have a large, noisy group of laggards and leadership capitulates to them, your innovators and your early adopters lose trust in leadership and they will maybe sustain the change if there's enough for them personally, but that whole group dynamic that you've built and has created huge momentum falls apart. And, um, we've seen this a little bit in, um, what's been happening in our world lately. So, um, you know, political leaders dropping, uh, certain things in, you know, public health measures in society. Well, think about what messaging was coming, uh, you know, a year ago, uh, nine, 10 months ago around, you know, what was important and asking innovators and early adopters to invest and to, you know, to help and to, you know, to to push this, uh you know, big preventative public health piece forward. Well, you know, a number of leaders have just capitulated to a very small and less than 16 percent. I would say it's a five percent at the end. They've capitulated to them and Look and see what some of the early adopters and your innovators are saying now. And you can see there's a huge loss of trust. Uh, leadership has totally undermined um, what they've asked from that leading edge. And unfortunately, I believe what we'll see is that leadership will pay for that. Um, so, Leadership is walking a very fine balance here. If they want the change to be sustainable, they've actually got to stay aligned with the people who are supporting them and look for that 84% support. 84% support is a lot. Second. Second is that the laggards don't want to change. To illustrate this, I'm going to tell you about the terrible trip to Disney World. Um, The other thing I want to mention here is that laggards are at the end. So you've already spent six months, a year, two years gearing up for talking about this change. They've had enough time to be exposed to the messaging. They've had enough time to understand uh, what the change is, learn what they need to learn. Um, They're laggards because they don't want to change. So terrible trip to Disney World when I was 13 uh, and my sister was 10. My parents uh, saved up the money that they had and decided to take us to Disney World. Now, this was the 90s. We were struggling. Um, We did not have a lot. And so going to Disney World was a big deal. And I was 13, so incredibly self-conscious. I wore glasses, glasses. Um, it was a hard time for a 13 year old girl. And uh, the one thing that my parents had agreed to let happen was for me to get contact lenses. But I wasn't allowed to have a lot of contact lenses. So like I had to really take care of them. That was, you know, really, really important. And um, I still remember what this feels like, actually. And I'm sure many of you remember what it feels like to be 13. So, you know, I had this sort of pressure hanging over me of, Thou shalt not lose your contact lenses because they're so expensive. We can't really afford to constantly replace them. So you better be responsible over top of we're going to Disney World and me not wanting to look horrible in my own mind, didn't want to wear my glasses. So I only brought my contacts. I left my glasses at home. So we get to Disney World. We go on a ride. I lose a contact. And it is the end of my 13-year-old world. So what do we do? Well, my parents are like, we are continuing this vacation. And so we went to the beach. And me, 13 years old, did not want to go to the beach because I had an old pair of glasses with me that I like to wear at night. And they were ugly and I didn't want to wear them. And I didn't have my contacts and I couldn't see. So what did my parents do? They said, well, we are going to the beach. Your sister is coming with us and you can stay here in this hotel room. And by the way, don't open the door to anybody, which didn't happen. And also it was the 90s, so it was a different time. But regardless, nothing bad happened to me. I stayed in the hotel room for three days and stewed in my own bad mood for three days. And the rest of my family went to the beach. After three days, I decided I was being stupid and I decided to join my family and what happened? My family were happy to see me and we had a great time together. So as a parent now, I kind of laugh at the folly of my 13 year old self. But my parents were really good parents and they were great change leaders because what did they do? They realized that I didn't want to change. They didn't try to argue with me. They didn't waste time and energy ruining their vacation um, because they were right next to the beach. So what did they do? They went to the beach. Essentially, accepting that laggards don't want to change is actually better for you and better for everyone. Just let them go. Third is that laggards can be quite toxic. They're not handling their own emotions well. And so, I'm going to tell you the story of the biggest mistake that I have made in a change effort. So, I was working on a technology implementation at an organization that had a pretty toxic culture. Um, so, you know, the the cultural environment that we were working in was one of everyone needs to be happy. Everyone needs to adopt uh, everyone. You know, you have to please everybody. So it was a highly people-pleasing culture. So people who were... Um, really negative squeaky wheels, that kind of thing. They got a lot of attention. Now, this is not part of the way that I implement change. And so there was some conflict there. Um, We were at the end of the change effort. We were in the middle of implementation. we had been working on this for two years. I had the business manager with me. Her name was Anna. Names have been changed. And uh, we were told that we needed to meet with Victoria, who, again, name has changed. Um, who was extremely negative and resistant to this change. Now, after a few uh, efforts on my part to say this is a bad idea, I really don't think we should do this, Um, we ended up having to meet with her. And in hindsight, I realized I never should have taken this meeting because what happened was we all went into the room and uh, Victoria unleashed... Her angry feelings and yelled and said extremely toxic and horrible things to the business manager and her team and to me. And this was absolutely her not handling her emotions well. This was also uh, a byproduct of the culture that we were in. And um, I was shocked. I had no idea that this would, I, you know, I typically think that people will respond and react in professional and respectful ways. And this was the most disrespectful and toxic conversation interaction that I have ever witnessed. Um, I just want to make clear that there were no everybody in the room was a woman, so there wasn't any. Um, You know, gender, there weren't any gender differences. There were also not any racial differences. So, you know, that piece of it, uh, that could have been another factor. But in this particular conversation, it wasn't. Um, The other thing was that Victoria was not a person who had a lot of authoritative power in the organization. Um, she was an assistant and the person she was assisting also didn't have a lot of power. So we were really looking at a very small um, department, a department that didn't have a lot of sway in the organization. Um, But Victoria had been there a really long time and had a lot of friends. And so that was sort of where her, you know, feeling of power came from, but that's all it was. Um, The... The thing that happened after the meeting, so I shut down the meeting as quickly as I could. It took me a few minutes to figure out how the heck I was going to get out of there and get the team out of there. Um, Probably in all, it lasted about 15 minutes. And the result and the emotional effect on Anna and her team was so difficult to overcome. It took us months to come back from that. And Anna and her team were innovators they were the ones who saw the vision they were the ones who'd you know invested a ton of their time into making this happen into making this work and a 15-minute conversation with one person who was an angry toxic laggard completely unseated the progress that we had made and it took us so long to come back from that um in hindsight i realized that that wasn't worth it it didn't matter There was no appropriate way for um, that conversation to happen. Um, If Victoria was uh, angry, she'd had already two years to talk about that. Um, What it was, was her feeling that she was able to unleash that anger and toxicity on other people. And uh, that's not something that you want your team to engage in. Um, it's not something that helps your change effort. It's something that I really regret. And maybe I had to have that experience to know that I never want to have that experience again and how to avoid it. Um, and, I'm um, sharing it with you in hopes that that doesn't happen to you. So I hope that that helps clarify a little bit about why at the end of a change effort, we don't want to pay a whole lot of attention to laggards, um, you know, and looking at the leadership factors, just the emotional factors around like laggards just don't want to change. They've had enough chances. And also that, you know, once you get to the end, you can encounter really toxic behavior. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to hearing more questions from you. So follow me on LinkedIn, send me a note there, or uh, leave me a voice message on Anchor. And I look forward to answering your questions in future episodes. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, I invite you to like share rate and subscribe because it helps others find us. You can find our show notes on our website at www.charthouse.ca where each episode has a page under the change course podcast. So anything that I referenced in today's episode will be posted there so you can find it. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter. You'll get a monthly dispatch of all things change, what we're working on, and our latest research. Our music is Levity by Emily Klassen. Change Course is available wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have an accessible version on YouTube with fully edited captions. You can find the link to our YouTube channel in the show notes. Thank you again for listening, and remember, It's never too late to change course.